The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name is Brennan Showers. I am the student ministries pastor here. If you have not met me, please say hello. This is not the student section. Please, fans, keep it down. Thank you. Rowdy Crowdy. So today we are going to be looking at John chapter 6. We're starting John 6 today. Get out of my way, Devin. Uh, It is the first 14 verses of our chapter here today. To give a recap of where we have been, we just came out of John 5. John 5 taught us who Christ is in relation to the Father, that he and the Father are one. And on whose authority he could perform such works, the the specific work of the healing of the man by the pool on the Sabbath. Remember, Christ broke the law. He performed a work on the Sabbath. And that upset the religious leaders of that day. And then we end with those who can testify, who witness Christ for who he is. One of those being his works. And today we are looking at one of the most popular works of Christ, the feeding of the 5,000. This chapter, I think, is one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. Why? Because we get to see Christ's authority out, uh, played out in front of us. And then we get to see later in this passage, but as well in a few other passages, that he is the giver of life. So with that, let me pray for us. God, you are good. We give you praise this morning for the ability to, become, to come before you, to worship you, to delight in you that you may delight in us. God, as we continue to look at the works of your son, Jesus, today, the feeding of the 5,000, be with us as sinners that we may be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may be more and more conformed into the image of your son. And God, be with me a sinner as I proclaim to preach it. God, we love you this morning. We pray all these things in the name of your son. Amen. John 6, verses 1 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let us pray. And we already prayed. So um, we won't pray, but rather, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we enter into John 6 with the recounting of one of the most popular stories in all of the gospel, and also the only miracle that is recounted in all four of uh, the gospels. Matthew 14 as well, it shows. It appears again in Mark chapter 6 and Luke 9. We are unaware of any type of collusion or collaboration between these four writers, but what we do know is that this story was important enough, was vital enough to the gospel message that each author needed to include it. They felt that they needed to include it in their respective gospels. Why? Well, let's set the scene. Jesus and his disciples up to this point had been traveling for quite some time now. They are exhausted. They are tired. They were in previously Jerusalem, and then they traveled to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, not a short distance. It also says, this is also the Sea of Tiberias. In AD 20, it was said that the Sea of Galilee was changed to the name of the Sea of Tiberias based off uh, in respect to the Emperor Tiberius. Think of, I'm a Chicago guy, so think of um, the Sears Tower. They call it the Willis Tower. It's not Beth knows, Sarah knows this. It's the Sears Tower, okay? It's not the Willis Tower. Same thing with like White Sox Park. Um, it's, it's not guaranteed rate. It's not uh, U.S. Cellular. It's Comiskey. They all have different pseudonyms, different names. They've changed throughout time. It's the same place. So the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, do not be confused there. But in verse 2, we come to that there was a large crowd following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They were following Christ of what, because of what he had done, the miracles that he were, were performing. I would like to think that I would be one of those people who would have followed him, and I'm sure that you guys would too. The miracles that he was performing were incredible. The words that he was saying were indeed magnificent. They were in awe of who Christ was, even more so what he was doing. And because of the large crowds, or rather the large crowds were because of 
in the previous chapter of John 5 of the performance of the healing of the man by the pool on the Sabbath. That created a little bit of a buzz when you rattle the uh, religious leaders of that day. That will create a buzz, a little gossip around town. These crowds sure, surely have known and heard of the things that he has been doing and the boldness and even more so the authority that Christ has and embodied was very attractive to those who saw and heard it. So here in verses 3 through 10, we see here that we, we see some um, correlations to the Passover. This is during the Passover feast. But we also come to see that Christ would be the perfect lamb, the perfect and ultimate sacrifice. Again, this took place during the feast of the Jews, the Passover, as we see in verse 4. How do we know that? Well, skipping down to verse 10, it says that Jesus, sorry, it says that uh, Jesus said, how had the people sit down? Now there was much grass in the place. Okay, John, thank you for saying that there was grass. We don't care about the grass, John. This has nothing to do with the gospel. Who gives a crap about the grass? Well, the grass actually supports and helps prove that this was during the Passover time. Why? The Feast of the Jews, the Passover, was usually in early spring. In the summertime, the grass and the twigs, they would burn. And there would be no grass. And during the fall and the winter, the grass would be growing back. Now at this time, the grass is thick. It is fruitful. It is healthy. Most of you middle-aged men probably love to have, would love to, would kill for a grass, a yard, some landscape like that. And uh, they, the, that's just some supportive details for that this is during the feast of the Passover. And these grasses are, are on the side of a mountain, are on a hillside. This is said to be a Mount Sinai in relation to Mount Sinai with Moses. And how that Moses, through feeding his people, that was temporary. But we come to see that Jesus will feed us for eternity. So as we keep working through this passage, we see that Jesus asks Philip a very interesting and rhetorical question. Verse 5, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So at the beginning there of verse, of, uh, of verse 5, uh, it says, rather, I'm sorry, where am I? Uh, it's, at the beginning of uh, verse 6, he saw, in, in verse 5, yeah, verse 5, I was right. Verse 5, he was lifting up his eyes. Christ lifted up his eyes to see the fact that the people were hungry, that they needed something, their need of nourishment. The immediate needs Christ would come to fill. But it is clear that Jesus and Philip were thinking of two different kind of breads. And we will see that later on 
as we get to verse 22 in a couple weeks when Christ talks about him being the bread of life. But they are talking about two different breads. Philip is answering the question as in trying to give a realistic situation of what is going on, that one, that 200 denarii would not suffice for these people. One, uh, one denarii was one day's wage, two, so 200 denarii was over half a year's worth of income. But Philip, but Philip truly made a mockery out of this, out of the question, either forgetting or not even knowing who he was in the presence of. But thankfully, Christ would go on to reveal that answer. In verse 8, Simon Peter confirms to Jesus, sorry, that's Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, confirms to Jesus what is available in the crowd, five loaves of bread and two fish. These loaves of bread are barley loaves, and the barley loaves of that day were not the cream of the crop. They were not uh, the best, nice, fresh, sourdough bread. Um, Philo, when talking about, when commentating on this uh, verse, said that, called barley loaves a foodstuff that was suited for irrational animals and men in unhappy circumstances. Hmm. Yet, Jesus looks up to heaven, gives thanks for this bread that is fit for unhappy men and for irrational animals, and he gives thanks, and he offers it, and he multiplies it enough to have 12 baskets left over. Now, this miracle gives us the opportunity to, the opportunity to discuss miracles at large. This fall, we worked through, in student ministries, we worked through some of the miracles that Jesus performed, specifically through the Gospel of Matthew, and there are many questions that can come up for miracles, but one is how is it possible for Christ to perform these miracles? Of course, he was, he was a man like you and me. But Jesus was not just truly man. He was, of course, also truly, truly God. Because of the divinity of Christ, he could perform these miracles based off of his own divinity. John Calvin went in his institutes says that Jesus exerted his own inherent might when performing the miracles that he performed. So then, what is the point of miracles at large? I gave this illustration to the students, and I think it's worthwhile to share it with you. So think of the story of Cinderella, okay? You have the fairy godmother, wave her wand. She could transform a pumpkin into a carriage, mice into mares, a horse into a coachman, a dog into a servant, rags into a gown. But before she could do it, she would have to say what? Bippity-boppity-boo. Before waving the wand. The miracles of Jesus are quite the opposite. For the fairy godmother, the words had to embolden the miracle. Without the words of the fairy godmother, None of those things would have happened. Instead of the words emboldening the miracle, 
Jesus uses the miracles to embolden his words and his teaching. So what then is Christ emboldening? What teaching, what words is Christ emboldening? Friends, Christ is the giver of life. Yes, Jesus filled the immediate needs of those who were there on the mountainside, the 5,000 people with just five barley loaves and two fish. But that was physical. Christ does not just fill our physical needs. He gives us, he grants us our eternal spiritual needs. Christ does not make us just full. He makes us whole. By his sacrifice on the cross, he would come to offer himself as the perfect lamb and the bread of life, his body for us, and give us spiritual life. Jesus cared for the immediate needs to foreshadow what he would do for the eternal spiritual needs. Again, let's look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus, or rather through, through 14. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of, uh, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 12 is significant to the fact, to the, to the idea of Christ being the bread of life, the giver of life. Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Christ does not throw out the fishnet and see how many fish he can get and collect them, and that is his giving of life. No, his giving of life is accurate, it is precise, it is intricate. He makes sure that no one he seeks to save is lost, friends. He binds us together to him. He holds us uh, to himself. He does not let anyone or anything pluck us from his hand. The feeding of the 5,000 is a story that we often hear, and there are many different type of main themes, main ideas that we hear. 
but it is a foreshadowing of what is to come later in chapter 6, that Christ is the giver of life. And Christ only, Christ only is the giver of life, of spiritual life. Others may be able to fill the bellies, maybe even able to fill the minds with philosophies and worldviews. But Christ is able to do that in much much more. He is the only one who is able to do it for what is necessary for salvation. The feeding of the 5,000 shows us that Christ makes us whole. He does not just make us full. He is the perfect lamb, the bread of life. At the end, in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come. In your Bibles, is the prophet capitalized? It is in mine as well. When they talk about the prophet, it is not just Isaiah, it is not... um, just any other prophet. It is the prophet, again, that has been prophesied to come into the world. But what's funny is that these people had the wrong idea of who this prophet was going to be. This prophet was going to be a king who ruled and who overthrew a tyrannical government who restored the country and the nation of Israel. But that's not what he did. He didn't overthrow a government. Instead, he fed those who were near him. He cared for those who loved him. He healed those who needed healing. Christ was the prophet that was to come. Christ is the fulfillment of all prophecy. But the people of this time could not see it. They did not see that he was the giver of eternal spiritual life. They just saw him as a prophet. But Christ is the great prophet. He is the great priest. And he is the great king. We have to... And we must not forget that Christ is not just a prophet. Christ is not just a great teacher. Christ was not just a good guy who we seek to follow in his footsteps. No, Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Messiah. Christ is our perfect Lamb. Christ is the one who gives us life. He makes us whole. He does not just make us full to our bellies. He doesn't just take care of our immediate needs. He cares for us through eternity. And because of that, he is praiseworthy 
this morning. Amen. Let us pray. God, you are the giver of life through your son, Jesus, on the cross. You have brought us into perfect harmony with yourself. God, be with us this morning. Draw near to us as we seek to worship you and glorify you in all that we do. Amen. As we draw to communion, this is very fitting as we come to the table to eat. Christ is the giver of life. Christ is the one who offers us the bread of life. He is the bread of life. With the partaking of the bread and partaking of the wine, we are able to give thanks to Christ. If you are here this morning and you can say that Christ is the one who has given you life, this is for you. If you are here this morning and you cannot say in your heart, you cannot confess that Christ is the one who gives you life, that Christ is the one who offers you and has offered you salvation, let it pass because we do not want you to be in a place of hypocrisy. We are so grateful you are here. Please come talk to myself, Jeremy, or any of us elders, or any of the elders. But this table, this bread, this wine is for believers. We do this out of remembrance of Christ and what he has done, that he is the giver of life and no one else. So let us come this morning and praise our Lord through communion. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.